Well, thank you once again for joining us on Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and today's Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by FirstNet. But with AT&T, FirstNet uses the latest technology to keep your lines of communication and data open to help you respond faster, smarter, and safer. Not waiting any longer, because I know you've been waiting. Here he is, our good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, everybody missed you. I'm sure they did for about five minutes, but uh, then they got on with their lives. But regardless, it's good to be back and talking with you again. You know, after the show, Kelly, every week, we get a lot of people respond to us, whether it's, uh, you know, personally or at the show at EMS1.com. And they talk a little bit about the show and what we did or, hey, you forgot this or why didn't you mention? Um, And it's really kind of cool that we have the following that we do. And uh, Kelly and I know uh, for everybody out there that uh, we wouldn't be successful without you guys and girls listening to us, sending us ideas and keeping us uh, motivated so we can do the show every week. And hopefully we're able to inform, entertain and persuade, you know, Kelly. So as we start this week's show, we've got a topic that is making the rounds once again in EMS. And it seems that this is popping up every quarter, every six months. And it's fentanyl, you know, separating fact from fiction. And our own Carrie Hat wrote an article on the 25th of April that's kind of talking about separating the fact from fiction and the four takeaways on fentanyl that uh, we need to know and how we can educate our police partners and kind of educate the people who are around. But every time I see this story pop up, it really kind of gives me a little bit of pause to say, why are we still having to talk about this? And, uh, you know, we see the news reports of public safety responders who are suffering from these, and I'm using the bunny quotes, the air quotes, so-called toxic exposure to fentanyl. And, you know, we're still trying to educate our uh, first responder partners to say this really isn't the case. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I bring up all the time to people, Kelly, is if there was a challenge with fentanyl causing, you know, overdoses just from being in the air, we wouldn't have a fentanyl problem because all of the drug dealers would be dead yeah. as they're putting this stuff into their little bags. Right. I mean, so, yeah. you know, they're, they're using, you know, maybe they're using gloves to scoop it up and put it in the bag, but uh, it's got to be in the air. And but are uh, they using fentanyl resistant gloves? They uh, actually make supposedly fentanyl resistant gloves. Uh, I suspect that they're regular gloves that they just slapped a label on because they think we're idiots, but nonetheless. So anyway, but, you know, I I don't understand, Kelly, and maybe, you know, you're kind of in the education side of things and we're still seeing this. And and I don't want to I don't want to, you know, talk about the, you know, is it right or is it wrong or, you know, are people not feeling or people what I want to talk about is. How do we now think about getting past this? Because like I said, every three months, every six months, we're back on the sideline with fentanyl exposure challenges. And we've got to be able to wait to just to educate this and make this go away. Yes, we, we go to California and we, we shut down Facebook headquarters. <laughs> I think social media has made us dumber in general and, and, you know, with social media, information travels uh, at the speed of light, and unfortunately, so does stupidity. And we're now living in the post-factual society where everyone's response to facts is like, oh, well, yeah, that's like your opinion, man. 
Um, they're all trying to channel the dude from the, the big Lebowski, but it's, uh, you get these people that are just uncritically share these news stories and they're written by, by God, you'd expect journalists would have a little more uh, practice, a little more diligence and, and, uh, and fact checking. Uh, but they, you know, if it bleeds, it leads and that stuff makes it onto the headlines and, and people just share that around uncritically. And it, it amazes me how many medical professionals, EMS professionals actually believe that you can catch the fentanyl cooties. You can't, you can't, swim through a sea of fentanyl maybe it'll get in your mucous membranes but if they're protected you're fine lay on your back naked in a pile of fentanyl and make fentanyl angels you will not absorb it readily oh god this just drives me nuts this, so all I'm right kelly so, calm down calm down kelly take i'm gonna get you <laughs> a dose of fentanyl. fentanyl for you calm down calm down here i'm feeling my heart race i'm feeling anxious i must be exposed to no wait a minute that's that's a hissy fit I think articles like Carrie's are are needed and, and people need to be shouting it from the rooftops um, that you cannot get exposed to fentanyl in that manner. But uh, the people that we need to reach probably don't listen to podcasts and, and don't read uh, and they just mindlessly share memes on the internet. Just, just a week and a half ago, we worked cardiac arrest uh, at uh, a local, uh, penal institution and one of the guards came out and said a guy overdosed in his cell and and did mouth to mouth on him and and now i'm feeling faint and dizzy and uh, my lips are tingling i think i got exposed to fentanyl and i just i told him flat out no what you're what you're doing is having a panic attack dude just calm down you you can't get it from touching him and he can't get it from touching fentanyl uh just relax and and uh, he he got over himself, but you know, uh, yeah. And, I mean, I think you get it from shopping cart handles or or whatever. Um, but the we've had numerous expert uh, agencies and and organizational bodies have come out against this this idea of easy occupational exposure to fentanyl. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, bad news travels fast and first, and it's hard to refute after a while. But um, the article that uh, Carrie wrote, our very own Carrie Hat, she actually interviewed Simon Taxel. He is the uh, crew chief for the city of Pittsburgh Bureau of EMS, and he's actually presenting Fentanyl Facts and Fiction at the 2022 GEMS Conference in Indianapolis. And basically, so she asks him the questions, you know, and there are four takeaways on fentanyl fact and fiction that uh, he brings up. The first is the risk of exposure is low with standard PPE. You know, we kind of talked about special gloves. We, we don't need any special anything to be part of this, right? There are reports of personnel suffering passive exposure from touching fentanyl or contaminated surfaces. And, and as you mentioned, Kelly, as you talked about the uh, shopping carts, it just doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen at all. And, and the only way it can be absorbed through the skin is through a, a duragesic patch, which took billions of dollars to develop in, in years. Uh, and the American Society of Toxicology and the American uh, uh, Society of uh, Poison Control Centers has, has given data on that. For you to get a dose of fentanyl, not an overdose, just a 100 microgram equivalent dose of fentanyl, you have to cover both polymer surfaces 
with duragesic patches and have them in contact with your skin for 17 minutes before you get a dose. It's not going to get it from going through somebody's purse that happened to have illicit drugs in their purse or cataloging evidence or what have you. Um, and, and the fentanyl in the air, they, they use the, the uh, uh, manufacturing facilities, OSHA recommendations in that regard. You have to be using a fentanyl-rich air uh, with particulate matter in, in that you're inhaling for uh, like 200 minutes before you get a dose of it. So you're, you're not getting it through casual inhalation either. And one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, in my career, as well as I'm sure in your career, uh, our fire brethren, they're wearing gloves when they arrive on scene. Our police brethren, when they're on scene, they usually have these leather gloves on. Not many police officers are, you know, doing their job without some type of hand protection. And one of the things that I used to do as a best practice all the time was I would ask the cops on scene, can I get you any gloves? You need any, you need any, uh, you know, rubber gloves or anything. Cause I would want to make sure that they were taken care of. So, you know, always maybe think about, we come to the time of, if this is, if people think that this could be challenging, are gloves recommended or needed, uh, for our police partners and certainly for our fire partners. But the second point that Carrie makes is exactly what I was kind of talking to you about earlier, Kelly. And that is about how can EMS help educate public safety partners about fentanyl safety. Now, one of the things that I think is a challenge here, and I'd love to get your opinion on it, is when we bring this up, especially to our law enforcement partners, um, it seems that they're always taking the other side to say, no, well, I know this guy and oh my gosh. And he was Chris, he was going to pass out and he, you know, he felt really lightheaded. And, and it's, it's like, as we try to bring them this information, there, it's kind of going in and coming out without any real, um, you know, without folks really paying attention to it. And, and so my question to you is, as educators, Kelly, how do we really get the point across without people saying, well, I heard from this guy? Well, yeah, you first ask them um, how many uh, narcotic overdoses they've seen and how those patients acted. And every one of them was somnolent or comatose and barely breathing. Then you ask them how the guy they knew, you know, who's, who's a cop in the next town, who's bright dating a nurse's brother that, you know, and his brother-in-law and so on and so forth. It's, it's all this urban legend stuff. Uh, how were those people acting when they had their quote unquote fentanyl exposure? Nothing like a typical narcotic overdose. They're anxious. They're having palpitations. They're feeling lightheaded. All of these kind of things were, are, are signs and symptoms of an anxiety attack, not an opiate toxidrome. Uh, if you can give fentanyl to, I mean, if you can give naloxone to yourself, that is proof you didn't need naloxone. If you're awake enough to give it to yourself, you didn't need it. And, and, and I think by educating them on, on the presentation of a uh, opiate toxidrome and how these occupational exposures always seem to be not match that opiate toxidrome and share that that uh, uh, position paper on occupational exposure to fentanyl and fentanyl analogs uh, will go a long way toward it. But, you know, it's hard to people have their belief systems and uh, they're not going to be troubled by facts. 
but uh, I think by, by keeping hammering them with facts, uh, we'll eventually wear it down. It's not as bad as it was, what, a couple of years ago. It was horrific a couple of years ago. Every day you saw some BS about uh, a cop being exposed to fentanyl. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break, Kelly, and uh, we'll come back. We'll finish with this, uh, with this article. But uh, go ahead and uh, give us the mid-show read. All right. Everyone in EMS deserves a reliable communication network like FirstNet built with AT&T. Your fellow public safety professionals at more than 19,500 agencies nationwide rely on FirstNet to make sure they have the connectivity and data they need to care for patients. And FirstNet is now offering increased coverage in rural and tribal areas. So whether you're looking for an individual plan or an agency-wide solution, you can join FirstNet and check out their limited-time special offers at FirstNet.com. All right, back again as we're talking about an article written by our own Carrie Hatt, Fentanyl Separating Fact from Fiction, as she interviewed Simon Taxel, and he had a course at the GEMS conference in Indianapolis, and we're kind of talking about the four things that were uh, facts versus fiction, and we talked about the first two. The third one is EMS can help reduce the burden of the opioid crisis. And I, I found this point interesting. And basically the discussion was here, um, EMS providers can do even more to reduce the impact of the opioid epidemic by starting or adopting programs to reduce the harm of illicit drugs. And there are some EMS agencies out there, Kelly, that are doing good work with this. There are yeah. some community paramedic programs that are also working in the community uh, to help reduce opioids. But this is a real problem. And uh, until there's money that we're able to get from the federal government, I just don't know that this is one to go away. But again, I think this goes to point number two that we talked about, that EMS can help educate public safety partners. We need to be able to help and do our part when it comes to uh, reducing the burden of the opioid crisis. I'd be interested in your opinion. I, I think we can. You mentioned those, those public outreach programs that EMS agencies are currently doing. Um, uh, Jan Rader, uh, I believe, and I think it's in West Virginia, has a uh, opioid abuse outreach program where they do follow up with, with overdose victims, and it has borne, borne fruit. Um, and, and there are other um, similar um, programs with a number of EMS agencies around the country. I think by educating people uh, about the the risks of fentanyl exposure, and it's it's everywhere now, um, and and just in opioid abuse in general, we can we can save some lives. But once again, we need to keep hammering them with facts. And 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 one of the reasons Narcan is so expensive now is because we're overusing it to a huge degree, uh, and it's it's. The law of supply and demand. Uh, now, a, a four dollar vial of fentanyl costs forty bucks, and even though you can go to to Walgreens and buy it over the counter, um, <laughs> if it's not affordable, then we we we're not reaching the people we need to reach. Uh, and one way to make it affordable is reduce the demand for it among public safety and EMS professionals uh, by not giving it in appropriately to people that don't need it. I agree with you one hundred percent. And we shouldn't keep it from people that do need it, though. But I think that that's one of the things that we hear a lot about this. And number four, there are real consequences to fentanyl misinformation. And uh, that could be that people aren't, you know, even EMS providers may not be given the fentanyl where it's needed. 
And this was a problem even in the morphine days where we didn't want to give, uh, you know, narcotics to people because we were fearful of them being drug seeking. Again, it's not our opinion to pass judgment. It's our opinion to treat people. Um, but there are some things that the real consequences to fentanyl misinformation, you know, public safety organizations with tight budgets, it may be necessary to purchase, you know, different material, you know, different uh, uh, marketed expensive fentanyl proof products. Right. I mean, so that's one thing I yeah. think the challenge is. So one of the other things, Kelly, is that during fentanyl exposures, the hazmat team comes out or, you know, other, yeah. uh, you know, or other uh, bigger apparatus and equipment come out and we're wasting these resources and we have them out of service now as they're going through and they're doing things. And then finally, there are even criminal charges being filed in some cases for endangering law enforcement officers. And I just think that, you know, again, as we talk about these every few months, it really does come down to the challenge of um, really getting the information out because this is becoming, you know, this, you know, I'm going to call it a false, this false alarm. Um, it's becoming a bigger, bigger challenge than it needs to be. And it doesn't look like there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's, it's mass hysteria. Um, and we do divert an inordinate amount of resources to dealing with these calls. You mentioned hazmat units and hazmat responses. And, and uh, an entire cottage industry has sprung up around uh, the fentanyl hysteria that of, of made-up things. Like, I meant fentanyl-resistant gloves. Chris, you go to the exhibit hall at a conference, and there will be people there marketing fentanyl-resistant gloves. Um you know, it's ridiculous. We already have something that's fentanyl resistant. It's called skin, uh, super keratinized infection negation technology, trademark pending. <laughs> if you don't like it, if you don't like the, the efficacy of your skin, we'll send you a new set within 27 days. <laughs> you know, it's just, you don't need it. All gloves are fentanyl resistant. But man, if you make it in tactical black and, and slap fentanyl resistance on the side, there's a whole bunch of people that'll buy it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that we, we divert way too many resources taking people to the hospital that were having panic attacks, uh, um, calling out special response teams when they're serving high risk warrants. You know, you serving warrants on, on some place that where the fentanyl might be present. So they've got a fire department and a hazmat team standing by. Meanwhile, there are people walking in and out of this resident, not wearing respirators, and they don't seem to be falling out. You know, I would say that the, the professional rescuers and, and the law enforcement officers aren't in any danger either. And right. you can't chalk it up to, to, um, to uh, tolerance. Uh, they, they don't have a high tolerance, not that high a tolerance. No. Right. So, well, let's switch gears really quick, Kelly. I think we've kind of uh, beaten the dead horse again, and uh, we'll probably be talking about this in another quarter, another six months. So everybody out there, go ahead and listen up for that show. But I do want to send a shout out to the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians. And I believe, and I want to go ahead and advocate, I've been a member of the uh, association since 1999 is when I became a member. I've had the opportunity to do some things in the organization from being the chair of the EPC course, being on the AMLS committee, being on the people committee. I'm now on the lighthouse leadership committee. I sat on the board of directors. I was the vice president of the NAEMT foundation. Um, 
And I just believe that if we consider ourselves to be professional, we have to belong to a professional organization. And for the money that it costs to become a member, it allows the organization, the association to really advocate on behalf of the EMS provider. This is the only organization that is really devoted to the EMS provider. But anyway, today I want to give props to NAMT President Bruce Evans, along with the board of directors and really all the membership and Boundary Medical. They are sending 50 pallets of medical supplies to Ukraine in support of that war. I had the opportunity to chat with uh, Bruce Evans a couple weeks ago on another issue, and he was telling me of the challenges of trying to get this medical equipment to Ukraine. And, you know, they've been working on this for a couple of months now, trying to figure out what they're going to send. But more importantly, how are they going to get it over there to send it? But a tip of the hat and a cheers to the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians and working with Boundtree Medical to send these medical supplies. And it just makes you feel good to be part of the association, to be in the EMS field, knowing that we're able to support the people over there who are really, I mean, I don't understand this from uh, allowing this democracy to fall. I certainly understand why we can't go over there and help them more militarily with uh, troops and so on. We don't want to start a World War III, but it's good to know that we could be doing something and hats off to NEMT, hats off to Boundary Medical. Yeah, you know what? What many people um, may not appreciate is, is not only are, are we seeing, you know, naked territorial aggression on behalf of uh, Putin and and Russia, but this is also a, a humanitarian crisis. Millions upon uh, of refugees, displaced people, their homes have been destroyed. Uh, there are there are civilians getting killed uh, every day and or dying of starvation and whatnot. And these medical supplies from Boundary and, and National Association of EMTs is, is really stepping up to, to help with this humanitarian crisis. Um, if we can have individual EMTs volunteering to go over there and provide medical care, like we've seen in the in news reports, uh, it's nice to see that one of our advocacy organizations is also uh, stepping up to the plate and doing what they can. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at the show at ems1.com with your ideas, thoughts, comments, and questions. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.